Welcome to Love Your Heart, brought to you by Cleveland Clinic's Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute. These podcasts will help you learn more about your heart, thoracic, and vascular systems, ways to stay healthy, and information about diseases and treatment options. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back uh, to another podcast from uh, Cleveland Clinic Electrophysiology. Uh, as you know, I'm Osama Wazni. I'm the section head of um, EP here at the Cleveland Clinic. And today I have the honor and pleasure to have with me Dr. Bruce Wilkoff, who is the director of the Center of Electrical Therapies, or in other words, everything that has to do with devices, cardiac devices, uh, that in EP in uh, at the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, so welcome, Dr. Wilkoff. Well, thank you, Osama. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. So today's discussion is about defibrillators, ICDs, and how they're different from pacemakers. So to start off, could you just explain to us what is the basic difference between a pacemaker and a defibrillator? Well, that's a good question. Uh, pacemakers are designed to support the heart rate, so it will not go lower or slower than a certain heart rate. So it acts as a base. Uh, and some people have slow heart rhythms. Uh, Implantable defibrillators usually have a pacemaker, so they provide that kind of support, but they are designed to detect and then to rescue people from dangerous fast heart rhythms, something called ventricular tachycardia and ventricular fibrillation. That's great. So, so who are those patients who are at risk for having ventricular tachycardia and ventricular fibrillations? And, and then when would we consider a defibrillator in those patients? Well. Everybody is uh, familiar with the, the story where somebody passes out and somebody has to dial 911 and uh, somebody does CPR and then uh, the emergency squad comes in uh, to rescue the person with a defibrillator. Uh, that's an external defibrillator, something outside the body. And that all has to happen within 10 minutes because if it doesn't happen within 10 minutes, the person will die. So the purpose of the implantable defibrillator is to rescue the person almost instantaneously. So the defibrillator will detect and then treat. So the patients that are at risk for that kind of a, an event are the people that should be getting a defibrillator. Some of those people have already had an event and then they've been rescued fortunately by the emergency squad. We call those secondary prevention or ones, people that had already had an event and we, have, we know that they're at risk. And then the larger group of patients is the number of patients who we can estimate are at increased risk over the next several years, usually patients with a low ejection fraction uh, that get the defibrillator and then we put it in before they have an event. That's a primary prevention device and that's what uh, most of the patients. There are a few other reasons too. So very good. So just to quickly summarize, there is secondary prevention. So this is somebody who has already been rescued and has survived a sudden cardiac arrest event. And that person definitely needs to have a defibrillator for what we call secondary prevention. The other group, the, the bigger group, is, are those patients who have an, a reduced ejection fraction. And then in that group of patients, we implant it for what we call primary prevention. So before an event happens. Could you tell us uh, what is an ejection fraction and how that number helps in stratifying patients or knowing who's at higher risk? Well, certainly. The uh, ejection fraction describes how effective the heart is in pumping blood. 
And what happens is the heart first has to fill up with blood and then has to squeeze to pump the blood out. And the percentage or the fraction of blood pumped out with every heartbeat is the ejection fraction. And we divide patients into normal ejection fractions, people with ejection fractions in the range of 50 to 60 uh, percent, and then those people with reduced ejection fractions. Uh, and generally, we start to be concerned about uh, sudden cardiac arrest in patients where the ejection fraction drops to 35 percent or less. So again, to summarize, normal ejection fraction is not 100 percent. So don't be alarmed if you look at your EPIC report or your medical chart and you see that ejection fraction is 50%. So 50% or higher is normal. And we start really worrying when the, for about sudden cardiac death is when the ejection fraction is 35% or less. And then, then we should start considering a defibrillator. Do patients have to be on medications first before we implant a defibrillator? Well, there are many types of medications. Certainly, uh, this is not that patient's only problem, and treating the reduced ejection fraction is very important. And often, uh, those medicines can improve the ejection fraction and actually um, prevent the need for a defibrillator to be put in now or maybe ever. Uh, so it's very important that people get certain what we call guideline-directed medical therapy, and this keeps changing but involves things like beta blockers, ACE inhibitors, uh, angiotensin re receptor blockers, and then there are several newer medicines. It's very exciting, actually. But yeah. in, despite all of that, not everybody responds. And it's on top of that, and of course, making sure that their coronary disease is treated, uh, making sure that the valvular disease is treated well, all of the other things. And then if your ejection fraction is still low, that's when we put in one of those primary prevention devices. So now I'm a patient, we've been to the cardiologist, to the heart failure specialist, and the ejection fraction has not improved. That's when we would consider putting in a defibrillator. Are there any devices in addition to the defibrillator that can help with improvement in ejection fraction? And which are those cases? And what are those devices called? So um, there is a group of devices called biventricular pacemakers that can be combined with a defibrillator or just with a pacemaker that actually work on resynchronizing the contraction. So sometimes the contraction, the ejection of blood, the ejection fraction is compromised because the message gets to one side of the heart before the other. Yeah. Uh, and when that happens, the heart is not very good at uh, pumping the blood out. With this biventricular uh, a pacemaker, uh, a lead is put in both ventricles, and then that message gets to the whole heart at the same time and allows for a more coordinated uh, uh, contraction, and that can improve the ejection fraction. As, as we've just been talking about, it, it can be combined with a defibrillator or yes. not with a defibrillator, and there are different situations where and that that's might. a decision that the electrophysiologist together with the heart failure specialist and cardiologist will make at that time. So that, that's excellent. This has been excellent. So in summary, we have indications for defibrillators. They're secondary after an event or primary before an event, but when the ejection fraction is reduced. And some of the devices that can combine with the defibrillator can also improve 
the ejection fraction or help improve the ejection fraction beyond uh, medical therapy. So I encourage all our patients to those, especially those who know that their ejection fraction is reduced, to talk to their cardiologists and talk to their heart failure specialists about the optimal timing for referral to electrophysiology to be considered for a defibrillator or a biventricular pacemaker defibrillator. Any last comments, uh, Dr. Wilkoff? Well, I just want to say that there are new things developing all the time, and we have other types of, devel uh, of devices that can improve ejection fraction as well that are sometimes now being combined with defibrillators or combined with pacemakers and allowing to improve the ejection fraction as well. And so this is a collaboration and, it, and we happen to handle the slow and the fast heart rhythms and a little bit the ejection fraction, but we need to be working in collaboration. Talk to your, uh, your heart failure doctor, talk to your general cardiologist or your internist because we may be able to help. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you everybody for your attention. And we look forward to having you on another podcast from Electrophysiology at the Cleveland Clinic. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We welcome your comments and feedback. Please contact us at heart at ccf.org. Like what you heard? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen at clevelandclinic.org slash loveyourheartpodcast.